You are listening to Pop Culture Detective Audio Files. In each episode, we investigate the social and political messages embedded in popular media. I'm your host, Jonathan McIntosh, and today we're going to be deconstructing what is quite possibly the worst Steven Spielberg movie ever made. Legend says that a crystal skull was stolen from a mythical lost city in the Amazon, supposedly built out of solid gold, guarded by the living dead. Whoever returns the skull to the city temple will be given control over its power. Steven Spielberg has, of course, made more than his fair share of great films. Movies like E.T., Close Encounters, Minority Report, Jurassic Park. I mean, the list goes on and on. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, however, is not one of those films. The fourth Indiana Jones adventure is a truly terrible movie for a whole host of reasons. We could easily devote the entire episode to talking about what went wrong with the script or going over the, frankly, baffling filmmaking choices on display. But since this podcast focuses less on the quality of a particular piece of media and more on the messages and cultural meaning therein, we're going to spend the hour discussing the movie's representations, or rather misrepresentations, of indigenous people, and also dig into the ways that conspiracy tropes around ancient aliens play a part in that misrepresentation. So here to discuss Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, we are joined by media critic and our resident expert on ancient Mesoamerica, Dr. Felicia Lopez. Felicia is an assistant professor at the University of California, Merced, in the Department of Literatures, Languages, and Cultures, where her research covers a wide range of topics related to indigenous history, culture, language, and, of course, media. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Felicia. Thank you, Jonathan. It's good to be back. So the reason I thought Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull would be a good film for us to deconstruct on the podcast is because a few months ago, we had Felicia on to talk about The Jungle Cruise. In that discussion, Indiana Jones came up a few times, especially as it relates to the tropes that often surround uh, indigenous peoples and in ancient Mesoamerica specifically in adventure films, uh, many of them inspired by Indiana Jones. Some of those tropes include things like the Mayan apocalypse, ancient astronauts, and alien uplift. There are cursed artifacts, and there's blood magic, and human sacrifice, and temples full of traps, and, and underground labyrinths. There are monstrous Mesoamerican gods. You see this stuff over and over and over again. And since uh, Felicia is an expert in all things ancient Mesoamerica, I thought she'd be a perfect person to talk about these tropes and, and this movie since it has so many of them. So before we get into the plot of Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, I thought maybe Felicia could give us a sense of the things that you study. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my PhD focused uh, mostly on the writings, the writing traditions of ancient Mesoamerica. Uh, my work looked specifically at the writings of Nahua people of central Mexico, uh, and so uh, you may know the Nahua people, Jonathan, by their most infamous tribal group, the Aztecs, um, also known as the Mexica, where we get the name for Mexico. Uh, and so in my doctoral work and in my continuing work, I work on developing decipherment techniques for reading these glyphic texts. Is that what Indiana Jones is sort of trying to decipher on the wall of the temple in this movie? I mean, is that... In 
in theory, that is what he is doing, right? Uh, in practice, that's not what he's doing, but in theory, that's what he's supposed to be doing within the context of the film. And so when you say glyphic text, what, what, for people who don't know what that means, uh, what is? give us a sense of what a glyphic text is. Right. So glyphic texts can look a great number of different ways. Uh, people are usually most familiar with the glyphic texts of, say, ancient Egypt, uh, things like logograms that we don't typically see uh, in written European and other Western languages. In some ways, I would argue that uh, our emoji systems come closest to uh, our contemporary use of something like a glyphic system. And so depending on how much you use these emojis, they may take on very specific meanings in given contexts that can relate to concepts, but also can relate to words and word sounds. So you may use an eyeball to express the word I, meaning me or myself. Uh, and you may use a, a heart shape to represent a heart or love and things like that. Um, so that's, uh, I think, the, the most similar thing we can see in our contemporary usage. And so what you're doing is very much what we see a lot of these sort of adventuring archaeologists doing, uh, is that you're looking at, um, at, a, at a glyphic language that it hasn't been deciphered, and you're trying to figure out what it says. And so you're the one uh, in the movie who would figure out that it was indeed aliens who were responsible for all of this. Right. So, uh, yes, I'm I'm one of the experts that they would bring in and say, well, you know, what what does this artifact say? Um, of course, that's not actually how it ever works in real life, but if such things happened, that would yes, I would be one of and, those and people. And just to be clear, it's not aliens. It's no, never it's, aliens. It's never aliens. Never never aliens. <laughs> and we're going to talk uh, in a minute about the the frankly racist myths around these concepts of ancient aliens or ancient astronauts, and and specifically the concept of of alien uplift, which is something that uh, has a major plot point in in the movie. But maybe we should start by just telling people what this movie is about. Now it's going to sound like we're making it up. You know, if you haven't seen this movie, this is actually the plot. This winding, convoluted plot. <laughs> uh, whereas in the previous films, they were set in the '30s. And the villains were the Nazis. Uh, in this film, it is set in the 1950s. And of course, the villains are- The Russians. The, the commies, yeah. The, the, <laughs> and, and they, they the really, Russians are coming. They really don't skip a beat. I mean, it is just the same generic villains, but now they happen to be communists as opposed to Nazis. So it starts off with Indiana Jones being kidnapped by KGB agents and taken to Area 51, where they find the mummified corpse- of aliens that crashed at Roswell. And through a series of shenanigans, uh, Indy survives a nuclear blast by hiding inside of a refrigerator. So the nuclear blast goes off right next to him, but he's inside the fridge. So he's fine. <laughs> so, and the explosion manages to catapult right. the refrigerator, uh, I, I presumably miles away, <laughs> clear, clear of the radiation poisoning. <laughs> And he emerges from the refrigerator he, yeah. unscathed. Yeah, he's totally fine. <laughs> no problem. Then he meets uh, his long lost son, who he didn't know he had, played by Shia LaBeouf and is named Mutt. He's named after the dog. Yeah. And Mutt is looking for the crystal skull. So he ropes Indy into this quest to find a crystal skull. And we'll talk about crystal skulls a little bit later on uh, because they feature heavily in this plot. And there are a whole bunch of really pernicious myths about crystal skulls. Anyway, so they go grave robbing in Peru, 
where they find the mummified remains of some conquistadors. Uh, and behind those bodies, there is a crystal skull. But it's not a human skull. It is an alien skull. And this alien skull is said to have mystic properties. It's got some sort of psychic uh, abilities. And that's why the KGB agents want it, because they want to turn it into a psychic weapon of some sort. Uh, and then there's this race through the jungle to the Amazon, where they're all trying to get to the lost city of El Dorado. And uh, there are giant flesh-eating ants, and there's a lost tribe of savages chasing them. And But then when they get to the the lost city and the and the and the temple. It turns out it was built by aliens, and then it transforms into a giant interdimensional spaceship, and then the movie ends. And quite a ride it is. I mean, it's such an exceptional movie in the collection of horrors <laughs> for me, at least. I mean, as someone who who uh, researches in depth on ancient Mesoamerica, who also looks at popular culture, it is kind of like my hobby to collect these tropes that exist about ancient Mesoamerican cultures and ancient indigenous cultures in general. And this movie is remarkable because it has about 80% of all the tropes that I've found. Right. And this is presented in sort of a very sensational Hollywood B-movie kind of way. But that doesn't mean that the things that it's depicting and representing or misrepresenting can't be harmful. Right, right. And so many of these things, so many of these tropes are exceptionally harmful. Very rarely do we see anything that is a positive representation of ancient people. There's a lot to unpack, uh, but let's break it down. And, and maybe we'll start with the elephant in the room, which is the ancient aliens or ancient astronauts. This, this science fiction trope has been around for uh, at least 50 years, and we see it replicated over and over again in pop culture. Uh, essentially, it is the theory that ancient aliens came to Earth and visited the planet, and these aliens have been part of or were part of the founding of human civilization. Uh, it is often connected to something called alien uplift, which is another science fiction convention wherein the aliens actually impart their knowledge or technology onto the sort of primitive humans, and then it allows them to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. So we, we can see examples of that kind of thing uh, in all kinds of popular media. It is in obviously in this movie. It's in the Stargate movie. I don't know if people remember that Stargate. one, but <laughs> and in the television show as well. I mean, look at this. It says uh, a traveler from distant stars escaped from a dying world, looking for a way to extend his own life. Uh, look here. He came to a world rich with life, where he encountered a primitive race, humans. <laughs> A species which, with all his powers and knowledge, he could maintain indefinitely. That was a clip from the Stargate movie, released in 1994. The Mayas had a legend of a winged serpent god who came from the skies, bringing knowledge. Such legends were not uncommon among Earth's peoples, Captain. Then we could be dealing with the basis of all those legends. A space traveler who visited Earth in primitive times. That was from Star Trek The Animated Series in 1974. Thousands of years ago, these hunters found a backwater planet. They taught humans how to build and were worshipped as gods. 
Every hundred years, the gods would return. And when they did, they would expect a sacrifice. That was from Alien vs. Predator, released in 2004. I think it was also it was also in Star Trek Voyager. Right, I think the episode is called Tattoo. It's from uh, 1995. 45,000 years ago, on our first visit to your world, we met a small group of nomadic hunters. They had no spoken language, no culture except the use of fire and stone weapons. But they did have a respect for the land and for other living creatures that impressed us deeply. We decided to give them an inheritance, a genetic bonding, so they might thrive and protect your world. Chakotay learns that his ancestors, his indigenous ancestors, had been given a, an, an inheritance mm-hmm. by ancient aliens mm-hmm. when they were primitive and didn't even have a spoken language. Right, when language. they were Olmecs, right? Right. right. His right. Olmec ancestors, specifically. Uh, the whole Native American culture uh, and all their practices and spiritual beliefs are all based on this, mm-hmm. this alien race that came and visited them. And this is this is such a long-standing trope as well. I mean, this has really existed for for many decades. There's a, a book that came out in the 60s, I believe, called Chariots of the Gods. Right. And in this book, uh, the author makes arguments that so many of these different things, whether it's the pyramids in Egypt or the pyramids in the New World, were the creation of aliens. And since then, we've seen it replicated all over the place, um, not only in popular culture that you're talking about, um, but even so-called educational media, such as the History Channel, um, which hopefully people know by now is a misnomer. Uh, The History Channel does not give anything remotely close to a historical view on these cultures. Did ancient aliens really help to shape our history? Did they leave behind a secret code? One, which reveals mankind's extraterrestrial origins. We have been visited by extraterrestrials in the remote past. Ancient Aliens, all new Friday at 9 on History and the History app. Their series called Ancient Aliens has been running for, I think, for 17 seasons now. Right. I mean, right. have they run out of things that the aliens have made? You know, it feels like every everything that's old on the planet was made by aliens, according to the History Channel. So, right. and even though you know, even though it's become somewhat of a meme, right? I mean, I think everyone knows the ancient aliens guy from from the meme that that uh, was viral quite a few years ago, but still, I see uh, gets floated around quite a bit. It was aliens. It was aliens, right? So, even though it, he gets mocked, uh, this is this is actually something that quite a few people believe. Right. Uh, it's remarkable to me that I do come across quite a few people who believe that this is this is truth. Right. I mean, it's it's uh, nonsense. I mean, that that book, Chariots of the Gods, is a work of ridiculous pseudoscience. He's it's essentially he's spinning a conspiracy theory, but he's presenting it as if he has all this evidence. It's obviously it's ludicrous conjecture and and misrepresentation of of history. Chariots of the Gods, the international bestseller by Eric Von Dänigen that shattered conventional theories about history and archaeology. Chariots of the Gods explores Von Dänigen's controversial and explosive theory that beings from other galaxies visited Earth in ancient times. Did a genius from another world design the pyramids? Is there evidence of a prehistoric airfield in the Andes? All over the Earth, the evidence is there. As a quick aside, Marvel's Eternals, which just came out in the theaters, is also very heavily influenced by Chariots of the Gods. 
to get back to this question of why, why this is a problem, this alien uplift trope is really pretty simple. And what it comes down to is this idea that those things that the indigenous people did accomplish are taken away from them in these kinds of representation. And what, what we're replaced with is this idea that the indigenous people did not have the intelligence or the ability to do these things themselves. It must have been aliens. How old is this? Four or 5,000 years. Old as the pyramids. Sun worshippers. Like the Egyptians. More worshippers. Yeah, but that's not the sun they're worshipping. So there is this scene in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where Indiana Jones and his crew are just entering the city. And in the cave system, before they get to the lost city, uh, they come across these pictograms, these glyphs. Murals, right. Yeah. Uh, and they tell the story. And this is sort of the eureka moment. And you have, uh, you have Indy deciphering the glyphs, you know, right, right. and figuring out what happened. Someone came and taught the yoga. Farming. Irrigation. Yeah, and so like on the wall, they have this this alien, you know, which is an as alien astronaut. And he's like, someone came and imparted knowledge and taught these sort of savage people, uh, these tribal people, farming. Because I guess they didn't know how to farm before. This movie, this one's more insidious, I'd say, than Chariots of the Gods, in that he's not just assigning it to things like the Nazca Lines or to the pyramids, but he's saying that these other everyday accomplishments, such as the very agricultural systems right. that they rely on, the water system, the aqueduct systems, these systems of, of farming, uh, that, that it was a gift from the aliens as well. The implication is that all of the accomplishments of the indigenous people of Mesoamerica uh, and South were, America, the, right? the entire entirety of the Americas. Of the Americas. Yeah. All, all the accomplishments of the people, the indigenous people of the Americas uh, weren't really theirs. The implications here as well are that, in fact, this indigenous Mayan language was something that was derived from the alien written text. And so even the written language itself, right? which is arguably one of the one of the most impressive advancements of of indigenous people of the new world is that they they independently created their own writing systems is something that is completely negated here in this movie as well. And so unfortunately, you know, when we're looking at these things, we see alien uplift most commonly represented in the Americas and in Africa. Right. We have many stories including the Stargate franchise, which is based on this idea that well, the ancient Egyptians couldn't have possibly built uh, anything as magnificent and wondrous as the pyramids, and so therefore it must have been aliens, right? I mean, and of course, who is making up these theories about how the people in North Africa or in the Americas couldn't have done these things? It's Europeans. The racism is really stunning when you think about it. Yes, this idea that that a bunch of Europeans got together and said, "Well." These things, these pyramids, these these ancient cities of Mesoamerica, which of which there were vast cities, yes, numerous, all throughout the Americas. Yes, I mean to come across these things that exist that you can see and to say, well, it couldn't possibly have been the people who live here that built them. It must have been, you know, an extraterrestrial from a different planet or universe. Anyone else? It must have been anyone else, really. I mean, the the the, the racism of that is 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 stunning. 
when you think about it. Now, the real irony for me <laughs> of, of this alien uplift is that most often I see it in relation to pyramids. I want as a disclaimer to say now that I am not at all an expert in Egyptian or old world pyramids in any sense. And so when I'm speaking of pyramids, I'm talking specifically of new world pyramids and specifically those from the Olmec, the Mayan, and the Aztec. And those pyramids do not have an interior. They're right, just right. giant platforms. I mean, really, they're, they're altars that grew in size to mirror and emulate mountains, the surrounding mountains. And so while they are absolutely scientific feats because they are uncanny ability to position buildings so they would work as sundials and they measured equinoxes and they charted eclipses. I mean, the architecture were reflections of the astronomy. So very advanced. But the pyramids themselves were just platforms. I mean, they were very elaborate platforms, but there was no interior. Right. Nobody lived inside. There were no booby traps. <laughs> there was right. there was nothing going on inside of them. No winding maze. Right. So so every piece of media that you have seen where there where they go inside of a pyramid and there are booby traps, all of it's nonsense. All of it. All of it. But you know, I mean, it come, some could say, "Oh, it shows that they're ingenious, that they're creating these things." But really, I think more than that, uh, it paints them as a distrusting and a militaristic people. They're dangerous. Right. They're trying to kill you, right? And it's, it's all fictional. And, and so what, you, what you're saying is that the true wonder of these structures is how they align with the stars and how they work with astronomy. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So it, it wasn't that they had poison blow darts flying out of the there were the no, stone. there were no poison blow darts, right? There were no, there were no spikes that shot out of the walls when you stepped on a stone. N nothing. What about the giant like boulder? That. Was there the giant boulder? There were some <laughs> giant boulders, and they carved heads into them. And they but were they quite didn't impressive. roll down after the. No, 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 no. Okay, so I think what you're saying about the misrepresentation is really important here, because as we've been saying, there are countless examples of fiction that uses these various ancient aliens, ancient astronauts, alien uplift tropes. These movies and TV shows, they're not trying to say, this is what actually happened, right? They're a fictional narrative. The people who are writing them are trying to write something fantastical. But the core underlying myth that keeps being repeated is that the indigenous people were not responsible for their own society, their own technology, their own uh, contributions to science. Often, I think the science fiction writers unintentionally play into that. I mean, I don't think they're trying to be racist, but they end up being that way anyway. That really brings me to what I think is the greatest irony of this movie, uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And that is the crystal skull, right? Uh, so maybe you remember, Jonathan, this, this scene in the movie that takes place in the mall shop. Uh, between Indiana Jones and his and his son, who he does not yet know is his son, Mutt. Found some type of skull, crystal skull. The one the guy Mitchell uh, Hodgkiss, Hedgekiss. The Ox and I were obsessed with the Mitchell Hedges skull in college. Was it just like an idol? Deity carving, Mesoamerican. There are a number of crystal skulls in the world. I saw one in the British Museum. The legend says... 
that a crystal skull was stolen from Akator in the 15th or 16th century, and that whoever returns the skull to the city temple will be given control over its power. So crystal skulls are really a, an interesting an interesting topic. Uh, they look like human skulls, but they're generally carved out of quartz. Uh, they look like they're glass. Now, the thing about the crystal skulls is that none of them, as, as far as we have tested and discovered, none of them are real Mesoamerican artifacts. They started coming onto the market because there was a lot of interest in ancient native antiquities. These were counterfeits that were produced because they were reminiscent in people's conception of Aztec culture. They did use skulls and and often beautified them, and they still do today uh, on a very special holiday that people may know as Dia de los Muertos. So skulls do still play a very prominent role in Mesoamerican religious belief systems. Uh, But the invention of crystal skulls was not a thing that existed at any point in Mesoamerica. There were plenty of feats of artistry and architecture and technology. The creation of the crystal skull was not one of them. Uh, It absolutely was just one that was attributed to them. They were made by jewelers' tools in in this century, somewhere in Germany Mm -hmm. or whatever. So they maybe maybe uh, you know end of the nineteenth century, uh, twentieth century. So they're they're elaborate fakes, essentially, definitely passed off as indigenous culture. Yes, but they've been part of this kind of mythology, right? This narrative of indigenous people for so long that these crystal skulls are still being held in museums. They're still considered whether or not they're accurate ideas about Mesoamerican cultures. Uh, and they still are seen in, in history books as well. So, so even though that they are, have been proven to be fakes, and we've known mm-hmm. that for quite some time. Yes, yes. It, they also still show up in popular culture. I'm just, I'm just thinking of like in Spelunky, uh, one of the treasures in the, in the jungle level is a crystal skull that you can pick up. Uh, there's a narrative about crystal skulls in the fourth Assassin's Creed game. And then there's a whole episode of Stargate SG-1 that deals with crystal skulls. Uh, and then there's, I think there's, a, there's an old, old A-Team episode way back when that really? also has crystal skulls in it. Yeah. Wow. I have not seen that one. I'll have to look into that. So crystal skulls in general, they are part of the tradition of Westerners creating myths about indigenous people and ancient Mesoamerica that have no basis in in reality. And this also isn't the first time Indiana Jones did this, uh, because in Raiders of the Lost Ark, at the beginning of the movie, there's this gold figurine, which is a, a statue of a crouching Tlazoteo, which is, uh, again, supposed to be an Aztec, an Aztec artifact. That, too, is based off of a forgery, a very famous forgery as well. What do you mean by a famous forgery? Uh, similar to the crystal skull, this this crouching figure who's supposed to be giving birth was based on a fake artifact created in the 20th century to sell to private collectors. I will say what this whole thing reminds me of is a simulacra, right? <laughs> it's, it's, we have a copy of a copy of a copy of a forgery, right? So there is no there is no original unique thing, right? So in both the case of the Mitchell Hedges skull and of this this figurine that is supposed to be of Tlazoteo, these two props that we see in each one of these Indiana Jones movies, both of them are based on these so these supposed artifacts. But both of these supposed artifacts have been have been found to be forgeries, not copies, not copies of existing indigenous artifacts. Uh, 
but complete fabrications. And so what we see now is not anything that resembles history, but is an imagining from an outsider's perspective to sell to other outsiders, right? And so indigenous self-representation does not exist here. No indigenous voices are recorded. It's just kind of this this hollow echo <laughs> of something that never existed. That's a that's a and mic drop. <laughs> and yeah, so the mic has been dropped. The 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 exclamation point has been drawn. I mean, really, all of these things are contributing to what Westerners, what Europeans, and what media does to this day, which is emphasize elements of a given culture that they perceive as interesting and or threatening or exciting frightening. Or mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Not too long ago, we did a podcast that talked about uh, the movie The Jungle Cruise. What's out there in the jungle? It's not a fun vacation. Well, I'm not here for a vacation. Legend has it that there is a tree that possesses unparalleled healing power. It will change medicine forever. And you need someone to help you find it. Here we go. That movie, just like this one, we see this convention in Hollywood where when we do have stories that are centered on, uh, in the case of the Jungle Cruise, uh, an indigenous tree that had potential to heal and the indigenous technology that, yeah. that protected that tree of life. Here we have, we have indigenous writing, we have indigenous mysteries, we have indigenous pyramids. And yet in both of these, we have nearly a complete lack of indigenous people themselves. And this right. one even more so, I'd say, than the Jungle Cruise. Go, go, go! Run, run, go! They're living inside of the pyramid, and they kind of crawl out, and they're attacking our heroes. Right. We get to see them as these these kind of like monkey creatures who are animalistic and, in a sense, are trapped in time. Right. And and they're they're ancient. They are they're not even fully evolved people in this case. Right. Right. At least in the Jungle Cruise, they're pretending to be these barbarians, um, which is, again, a whole other problem that you should go listen to the other podcast to, to hear about. But, but this one is even worse because they don't even appear fully human. And then they're all just murdered. Yeah. All of the indigenous people in the movie with their spears and their face pain and their animal noises and everything, uh, they're just gunned down by the Russians and that's it. They're just dead. They're cannon fodder. They're there. They're there to be disposed of by the villains. Maybe, Felicia, you could talk a little bit about what is sometimes called the Maya Inca tech, what that is and, and why that's uh, such a misrepresentation. Right. And so uh, I think TV Tropes calls it Maya Inca tech, um, but this is just a kind of the way that a popular culture and media uh, tends to homogenize these indigenous cultures that existed in the Americas before Europeans invaded. And so Mayincatec is the combination of Mayan and Incan and Aztec all into one to create this this kind of uh, hodgepodge. And so, uh, you know, it's important for me to point out that Mayans and Incans and Aztecs are all three very different groups. If if maybe you can give us just a, a very brief overview of the difference between the Mayan the Aztec and the Inca empires. Just briefly, sure. I'll start with the Aztec. <laughs> I'll go quickly. Uh, and I'll start with them because they're very short-lived. Uh, we probably know them best because they 
came head to head with the Spanish. Um, but really, they're a very short-lived empire. They were around for about 200 years. And they were one small group of this larger group that still exists today. There's still a couple million Nawa people. And so the Aztecs were just one specific group of Nawa people who still exist in, um, in, in Mexico. The Mayans were around much longer. We have definitive evidence of cultural elements and early forms of writing that date back almost 4,000 years. They're in southern Mexico, so they're neighboring the Aztecs, but they're totally different language groups and cultural groups, though. I think that's important to point out. They do have some commonalities because they are neighbors, um, but they're different groups. Uh, and then we have the Incans. And so they're in South America. So this is this is an entirely different continent we're talking about here, right? So this is this is like a five-hour plane ride farther south, much like the Mayans. We have this long-existing group, um, this ethnic group, uh, these these Andean cultures. But the Incan Empire itself, much like the Aztecs, was relatively new and short-lived. Um, but again, they're totally different ethnic groups, and it's sort of like comparing. Uh, the French to the German to the Greek. I mean, sure, they're nearby, but they're not the same cultures. They're not speaking the same languages. You sort of have a blending of all of these cultures as if, as if they're all one. And in fact, in some narratives, uh, the story, like for instance, in the uh, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, the most, one of the most recent uh, Laura Croft games, the narrative is actually you know, that all of these cultures were really connected. It's quite entertaining for me to see personally um, because I have such familiarity with these ancient cultures. Um, but I imagine that for most people watching it, uh, they really can't see any sort of a difference between what's going on on the screen. So we have iconography that's, that is directly pulled out of these ancient texts that are from central Mexico. And we see iconography pulled directly out of classical Mayan texts from, from, you know, from hundreds of years earlier than that Aztec text and from thousands of miles away. And then we'll also see uh, architecture from different Mayan sites. And then we'll see that in the context of it being a Peruvian site. Uh, and so we see this strange hodgepodge it kind of becomes one monolithic culture. And so when we see media representations of the Incans, we don't really see any difference between those representations and representations that we see of the so-called Mayans or Aztecs in different movies. Yeah, it's, it's as if the art director just sort of Googled ancient Mesoamerica. And I would then argue what they do. I'm pretty sure that's what they do. Right. And so uh, anytime someone Googles Mayan calendar, they'll end up with a picture of the Nasta calendar stone. And that is why every time you see someone trying to represent the Mayan calendar, it is an Aztec calendar. So not at all. It's not it's not Mayan. No. But since it's so um visually appealing and dynamic, uh art directors will just kind of throw that in there wherever they happen to be. Oh, and this and this stone, this sunstone, it's really quite ubiquitous. It's in Every movie that is trying to portray ancient indigenous peoples, uh, sp specifically of today's Latin America, I've seen it in, uh, it's in other Indiana Jones movies, the same exact stone. Yeah, I mean, you pointed out to me that when Indiana Jones and, um, and Mutt are crawling through a ancient you know, burial ground in what's supposed to be Peru, they're crawling on top of an Aztec sunstone from central Mexico. It, it, is, it is unimportant to the, the creators of this film, 
where these things come from and why. And so they just kind of throw them all together because they look cool and mysterious. Absolutely. And, and just like this sunstone, we see the same thing with two kinds of architecture. We often see the Tikal pyramid, a Mayan pyramid, shows up again and again and again. And then we see a very distinct architectural style, which is the called Talud Tablero, um, which is uh, coming out of central Mexico. But that also shows up in Peru in a lot of different movies. Really, they're just cutting and pasting. I even saw one area where they where they were showing Mayan glyphs, and it was a really bad cut and paste job of a Mayan calendar date. They had mixed it up, and so the numbers were on the wrong side of the glyph. It was just a mess. And really, I mean, any Mayan would look at it and say, that's completely wrong. Right? Who wrote that? And it doesn't say anything about aliens. Right. Well, and I mean, I guess the assumption is that the audience isn't going to know Nobody does know. And, you know, I mean, that's the unfortunate reality. These are things that are not being taught in schools. But if they put, you know, part of the Acropolis backwards, everyone would be like, whoa, we learned about that in school. So that's wrong. But we don't learn about these things. We don't learn about ancient Mesoamerica. We don't learn about uh, ancient South America. But we do learn about the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans and that those things are sort of the forefront of people's minds. Really unfortunate because we do spend so much time in schools teaching students about European history, Western history, American U.S. history, and we spend virtually no time talking about indigenous histories of the Americas, right? The place where where we are. We don't learn about these histories that are rooted here in these lands. And it completely erases entire swaths of people throughout North and South America. So I want to highlight something that you just said before, which is that these groups of people, or at least their descendants, are still here. Mm -hmm. The the culture and language is still alive. A lot of these movies portray ancient Mesoamerica as something that is gone, that the people are gone, civilizations collapsed and died, and there's no trace of them. But that's not true, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you're just reminding me of another trope that pops up all over the place. And this is these lost civilizations, right? These lost cities. People talk about it all the time. Oh, the Mayans, they ask, people ask me all the time, oh, you study, you study ancient Mesoamericans. Whatever happened to the Mayans? And I say, what happened to the Mayans? I mean, there's like 8 million Mayans today. Okay. Go talk to a Mayan. What happened to the Mayans? They're still around. There's tons of them. Uh, the same thing with the Nahua people, right? And we know that small group or the Aztecs, but Nahua people, they're over two and a half million not what people are still around today. Um, and they're all over the place. So there's huge indigenous populations in California, actually, um, where I am. So, uh, you know, these people are still around. They still exist. <laughs> they're, they're not gone. Uh, their languages are still alive. A lot was destroyed in colonization. A lot has been replaced <laughs> with, with forgeries, as we've been talking about. Um, but those cultures are still very much alive. And in a lot of ways, very much thriving these days. So I, th- I think that this gets to a question that I'm often asked when I do media analysis, uh, especially when it's of a, a science fiction movie or some sort of fantasy adventure. I'm often asked, well, yeah, it's wrong. Yeah, it misrepresents. But why is that really a problem? And they're not necessarily trolling. They just think, oh, well, it's just a fun movie. How how does that have a real negative impact on society and what people understand about the world? And how, how can it really perpetuate racism if it's just a science fiction movie? 
Um, and, I, and I wonder if we want to talk about a little bit about about why it is so damaging. Well, how how isn't it damaging? I mean, there are a lot of reasons why it's damaging. One of the reasons is that you know, I and and I know this because I spend a lot of time talking to students, and these are college level students about what they know and what they think they know about ancient Mesoamerica. And what turns out to be the case is that most people, what they think they know, are things that they that they can identify as seeing in movies. Uh, so. Most of the people who are coming through my through my college classroom have seen movies such as Apocalypto. Um, many of them have even seen the Indiana Jones movies. A lot of them have seen the uh, Dora the Explorer live action movie. But they see these movies and they believe that at least elements of that are historically accurate, right? Maybe not the entire story, but elements of the story. This is this is a much deeper conversation that I'm sure we'll have on the podcast at some point. But just this idea that. You learn things from media, and you know it doesn't have to be that you believe that you know that Indiana Jones is a real person, or that you know that the crystal skulls are real. But it might make you believe a little bit more in a lot of these misconceptions that we're talking about today. There's been plenty of research, especially coming out of USC with Annenberg, uh, talking about the complete failure to represent not only Native people but Latinos and Latinas as well. Right, so the people who who are the diverse descendants of the of the people we're talking about today, and since there's a complete lack of representation, that means that what we do get ends up feeding into what people believe they know about indigenous people and people of indigenous descent. They end up thinking that they accomplished very little, that they don't have a, a rich history, uh, that they do have these. In fact, an anomalous technologies that many, many people in the real world actually believe came from aliens, as horrifying as that is. And so what represent representation we do get tends to be homogenized. It tends to be uh, inaccurate. It tends to be from the European perspective. It tends to vilify them, <laughs> belittle them. I mean, this is, a really, this is a really big problem. And so from an outsider perspective, it perpetuates these racist notions. And from an insider perspective, so people who identify with these cultures or who see them as part of their heritage are more likely to be ashamed and to distance themselves from these representations unless they already have a knowledge base and an affinity for that culture. And so in the absence of knowledge, true knowledge about these cultures, it's hurting people who are outside of those cultures and also people who are inside of these cultures. I mean, there are a lot of similarities between the stories that were told to justify continued conquest of, of the Americas and the stories, the kind of stories that we see in, the, in multiplexes and in, on video game consoles uh, today. So what ends up happening when we have such minimal representation is that the stories that are told have immense power. And so when we think about indigenous people of the Americas, virtually all of the stories we know, and that includes movies like Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, all of these stories are rooted in the stories that we get from the conquerors themselves. 
you know, I just wanted to mention that when Hernan Cortez first came to the New World, right? So he's pretty famous. He was the, he's the one who was leading the Spanish as they rolled into Mexico City and he helped to conquer the Aztecs. Now that's a very, as a very simple and abbreviated history and not at all a representation of what actually happened. But what we want to focus on here is, is Hernan Cortez. He isn't entitled to anything he comes across without the express permission of the king. And so in order to get land and wealth and people, he needs to convince the king that he deserves it. And so he writes these letters to the king of Spain. They have a specific name in Spanish. Uh, they're called uh, Provanzas de Merito, right? They are, they are specifically a letter that shows that you deserve stuff. <laughs> Give me stuff, right? And so in these stories, whether they're written by Cortez or any number of other uh, conquerors, the specific goal of the narrative is to present themselves as the hero. And in this story, they're overcoming the heathen ways of the native people. And he's doing this in order to show the king, look, I am out here and I am saving souls for you and I'm finding new lands and we are bringing peace and we are bringing Christianity to all of these, these poor, uncivilized people. And so that is the narrative he tells. And he tells it convincingly because he gets stuff from the king. The king says, here, have stuff, uh, have landed people. I don't know how widely known this is, but during colonization, there were specific rules under church doctrine about what you could and couldn't use military force for. Uh, going all the way back to like Pope Innocent IV, the church had these rules and regulations that essentially said, you can't just take stuff from people who are non-Christians unless they're violating the natural law, right? Unless they are so uncivilized and heathenistic that they can't govern themselves. And in which case, then it is okay. So as you're saying, stories played a very important role in justifying and legitimizing conquest of the Americas. Because I mean, what was going on was just pure exploitation and genocide and theft, but it was twisted into a story of civilization, of civilizing missions, um, of saving souls, right? All of this sort of benevolent sounding stuff. Right. And we would be none the wiser about any of these letters. I mean, really, who cares if Cortez and a bunch of Spaniards are writing these letters to a Spanish king? Who cares? Uh, except that these letters are then published right? And they are widely read. They become popular. I mean, they become New York Times bestsellers in, in, throughout all of Europe at the time. And so these become what are thought of as historical accounts, historical documents. And really, I mean, they are, they are first-person accounts of what, <laughs> of what Cortez wants people to believe happened. Uh, and, you know, it's not just Cortez letters, uh, but a lot of these letters end up being published Right. And they feed into this narrative that becomes the popular thought in Europe that it then extends to the United States, that then becomes right. the dominant narrative, and it continues to this day. And so when I'm watching these movies, I say, oh, yeah, uh, that, that's from Cortez right there. So we can see all of this is still continuing. These right. stories still have power after 500 years. Right, because it is in the interests of the, of the conquistadors, of the colonizers, to make the native people out to be as brutal and savage as possible and as uncivilized as possible, because then that gives them the, uh, the justification to continue their exploitation. And so you're saying that they are 
exaggerating and just making stuff up wholesale. Absolutely. I mean, we can look at the kinds of stories that we're seeing being produced in movies and television today. And we can compare it to the kinds of stories that we see coming from the conquistadors themselves 500 years ago. And we can say, of course, these are completely different. They're completely different in their goals and their ideas. These movies, these television shows are just just for fun, right? And they're not to be taken seriously. The problem with that is that it really denies the fact that both have the intended and or unintended consequence of painting indigenous people as unintelligent, as technologically inferior, as savage, as in need of saving. Right, because these stories are not at all about the indigenous peoples or their descendants. They are essentially turning Mesoamerica into a playground for white heroes to come from America or Europe and figure everything out for them. Right. And from my perspective, the really unfortunate part of it all is that we have actual cultures, actual histories, actual belief systems, and these stories, these these narratives, they're not being told and they're out there. They exist. And so, you know, while Hollywood is busy making these reboots and these sequels and these prequels and, you know, how many, what are we up to like 20 different Marvel projects it's at this d- point? At least 30. Oh my goodness. It's out of control. Yet we have entire cultures, entire entire continents worth of people whose stories are not being told. And it's just a travesty, really. It, it is a travesty. And I'm so thankful for you <laughs> in lending us your expertise to sort of better understand the kinds of messages hidden in these stories. And we will bring you back again, I'm sure, to talk about Indiana Jones 5 which is currently in production, uh, starring a nearly 80-year-old Harrison Ford. That movie was supposed to come out last year, and but has been pushed back and pushed back, and it is now scheduled for release in 2023. So we have uh, that to look forward to. And maybe we'll also bring you back to talk about The Eternals, uh, because there's some ancient alien stuff going on there as well. That would be great. And of course, uh, you know, aside from talking about the horrors <laughs> of, of media representation, it is always a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you for inviting me. Please remember that all of our pop culture detective projects are 100% funded by listeners and viewers like you. So if you enjoy the kind of in-depth media investigations you just heard, please consider going over to Patreon to support our work. Just go to patreon.com backslash popdetective. As always, you can keep up to date with all of our projects on Twitter, at popdetective, and find our long-form video essays on our Pop Detective YouTube channel. We'll be back again in the new year with more brand new audiophile investigations. So until then, please remember to follow or subscribe wherever you happen to get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening.